Hello, I'm Lucy Gray. The Israeli military says its forces have advanced deep into the Gaza Strip. The IDF said a joint action of ground, sea and air forces had seen troops break through Hamas front lines of defence in the north of the Gaza Strip and Israel forces were at the gates of Gaza City. The Palestinian Red Crescent says overnight loud explosions and shelling could be heard in the city, including close to Al-Quds Hospital. Meanwhile, more people are hoping to leave Gaza today following international efforts to open the Rafah crossing to Egypt. Gaza border officials said the crossing would continue to operate. Some 7,500 foreign passport holders would be able to leave Gaza over about two weeks. Palestinians who've been wounded are also expected to be taken to Egypt, where they'll be treated in a new field hospital. Our Middle East correspondent Yolande Nell has our first report, which contains material you may find upsetting. Gazans call it their gateway to the world. Finally yesterday, the Rafah crossing opened. For the first time in more than three weeks, some foreign citizens were allowed to leave the war zone for Egypt, including some Britons, though details weren't given. But many others are still waiting. So this is the third time to come to the border and nothing happened. As they told, your name is not there. So I have to go back to the school, to the shelter, to call the shelter, waiting for the bombing. At the other end of the Gaza Strip, in Jabalia, more Israeli strikes. Hamas says nearly 200 people were killed here in two days. And across the region, the humanitarian crisis deepens. The head of the biggest UN agency in Gaza entered to see for himself. I was struck by the fact that everyone there was asking for food, was asking for water. We, I saw almost every children trying to express their way that they need to eat, they need to have water. But the war continues relentlessly, 24-7. It's almost four weeks since Hamas gunmen stormed the border and killed 1,400 Israelis. Hamas is designated as a terrorist organization by the UK government. Here, the Israeli army shows what it says are the weapons used against its citizens in the 7th of October attacks. Pull out the safety, throw this into a room, close the door, shut, and uh, it uh, takes the temperature inside the room to 3,000 degrees during the explosion. It burns, incinerates everything inside the room. Nothing comes out. Sirens warning of incoming rockets interrupted the event near Tel Aviv. When Hamas launched its attack, a retired Israeli general, Noam Tibon, drove down from Tel Aviv to rescue his son's family. Using a rifle from a dead Israeli soldier, he fought his way towards their home. This is the biggest failure in the history of the state of Israel. It was a military failure. It was an intelligence failure, and it was the failure of the government. With both sides now preparing for a long, difficult war in Gaza, those who are making it out of Rafah are the lucky few. Most are left to face the fighting, feeling nowhere is safe. Yolande Nell, BBC News, Jerusalem. Well, let's speak now to Anna Foster, our correspondent who's in southern Israel and the uh, airstrikes continue. And particularly, um, let's talk about uh, Jabalia, the refugee camp that we were hearing in Yolande's piece there, that there have been more strikes there. And the UN uh, Human Rights Agen uh, Agency talking about how this could am amount to war crimes. 
So we had confirmation uh, late yesterday that there had been another Israeli strike on Jabalia uh, and we'd seen two the day before, one on the refugee camp area, which is a lot of people packed into a very small space, and one on the town. Now Israel say that they, in those three separate airstrikes, that they destroyed uh, Hamas command and control infrastructure. They say that they, um, they killed uh, at least one senior Hamas commander and, and various Hamas cells. Um, the problem is, of course, that they are working in these built-up civilian neighbourhoods. Now, the Israel Defence Forces told people living in Gaza to move south, particularly in the north of Gaza, because they said that would be the focus of their operations, that would be the battlefield. But for many people, they weren't able to, to move south. And for those who did and found themselves displaced with no homes, you know, living in tents, sheltering where they could in the streets, no food, no water in this desperate humanitarian situation, we know that many people chose to go back to the north again. And there have been questions raised about whether or not Israel should be targeting these civilian areas. Now, Israel says that Hamas are using those civilians as human shields and therefore in order to try and eradicate Hamas from from Gaza, which is their stated aim after those attacks on October the 7th, they need to focus on the command and control centres, you know, the places where Hamas infrastructure is, both on the ground and buried underneath it. Uh, but the problem is, when you think of the size of Gaza, how small it is, a lot of that is wrapped into civilian areas, and that is why we are seeing after these strikes, these numerous uh, civilian casualties, often as well, of women and children. And President Biden has now said that there has to be a pause in fighting to facilitate the release of hostages uh, at least. Uh, but Israel still pushing back on any idea of pausing things, isn't it? Yeah, Israel are very clear that, that this is a, an existential fight for the, the security and, and the existence of the Israeli nation. You know, they, they have been pointing to other countries around the world and they say when there have been similar barbaric attacks on their soil, then these countries, these countries push back. Um, the problem is with, with Gaza, as we've been reflecting, is that it is, as we were saying, a very small, very small place with a very dense civilian population. It's not a place that people can choose to leave. If you think of, of war zones in other parts of the world, Often the civilian population, when war breaks out, have the opportunity to leave. But of course, in Gaza, um, access in and out is controlled by Israel. Um, so the more than two million people who, who live there, they can't actually leave Gaza at all. The best that they can do is move to another part of the Strip away from the fighting. And you were talking there about the Rafa crossing, you know, Yolan's report. We saw some people starting to leave, foreign passport holders, some people with dual nationalities. But as Yolan was reflecting, there. That is really only a very, very tiny fraction of the number of people who are stuck inside Gaza during this, this ongoing, at times constant, bombardment. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Anna Foster, for us there in southern Israel. Let's go live now to Amman uh, and we can speak to Toby Fricker, spokesperson for UNICEF. I suppose that is the one positive that uh, happened uh, yesterday was this uh, 400 people uh, able to leave Gaza and among that some injured people and, and this setting up of a field hospital in Egypt. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very hard to find positives, obviously, at the moment. But I think you know, UNICEF welcomes the 
you know, opening of the border, particularly for urgent uh, medical cases and, and especially for children. Yeah, we welcome that. We've been supporting the, the government of Egypt, providing some medical supplies for that uh, field hospital uh, close to the Rafa uh, border crossing. But what we really need to see is obviously a, a stop to, to the killing of, of children and, and the maiming of children, uh, which continues to go on. And we've seen the, the carnage recently in, in Jabalia. Um, and, and that's really our, our number one goal, really, is to keep pushing for that immediate humanitarian ceasefire, as the UN Secretary General said, UNICEF has said numerous times, and, and we keep saying that day in, day, day out, because the new normal is, is really horrific right now. And how, can you tell us how and who is deciding uh, who gets to leave? Who is it that's going in and deciding which injured people are being able to be taken to this field hospital in Egypt? Well, it's very difficult for me to provide you know, specifics on who's coming in, coming out. Uh, but I think the number one thing is that urgent cases, uh, particularly children, are able to go out and get the critical medical support that they need. And the reason is you know, the medical facilities inside the Gaza Strip are, are at such strain already, you know, massively, massive strain, limited access to medical supplies. We heard from the World Health Organization the cancer hospital is is really uh you know you're running out of fuel almost shutting down so it's a breaking point essentially inside the gaza strip so any relief at least for for very for injured uh, civilians injured children is is welcome i see that uh, msf uh, Médecins sans frontieres it's got a few people who left yesterday some of their staff working there left yesterday um, they're you know they're regrouping and, and uh, getting more people ready to go in uh, if they can get them in are, are you getting the sense that aid workers inside gaza are wanting to leave well, I mean, UNICEF, you know, in the UN, we have a rotation policy uh, for international staff members, uh, you know, to bring new people in when you can, to 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 fresh up, bring new new uh, individuals in to support the humanitarian response. Uh, the number one thing, really, is, is as we say, is sort of around staying and delivering, uh, because now the needs are so immense, you know, across the Gaza Strip to do whatever we can on the ground with our staff uh, in the area to provide that access to life-saving supplies, you know, medical equipment, water particularly, and sanitation, hygiene kits, et cetera, to get particularly to the shelters that are so densely uh, populated right now. And do you know anything about how negotiations are going in terms of uh, the discussions about a possible pause to allow humanitarian uh, aid workers and more aid in? Uh, do you get any insight into that? I mean, obviously, we've heard from President Biden today talking about how there has to be a, a pause. Uh, he was talking about it so that the, the hostages could be brought out or got out somehow. Um, but do you know how those negotiations are going at all? Well, I mean, we do advocacy with whoever we can to get a pause, to get a humanitarian ceasefire. Uh, that's the number one thing right now, because we also need to scale up uh, the life-saving supplies that can get inside the Gaza Strip. So some aid has been, as we say, you know, trickling in, but it's nowhere near enough. I mean, UN Secretary General said it's completely inadequate. Um, and, and that's so absolutely vital that we can scale up those numbers of trucks coming in with with the life-saving supplies, medical equipment, water, because the, the issue now is that children are being killed, injured every day, but also there's the threats of outbreaks of diseases and other issues arising. You know, staff members talk about their children being forced to drink salty water and suffering from dehydration, diarrhea, et cetera. So it's, it's absolutely urgent now that we scale up that, that access. Okay, well, thank you very much for talking to us. So Toby Fricker there from UNICEF.